My name is Donna. I'm an alcoholic addict. And, uh, wow, this is real hard for me. I, I need you guys to bear with me because one thing I don't do is speak in front of a lot of people. <laughs> I'm not too comfortable. Um, I'd like to talk about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. Um, I come from a, a family of seven of us, and I was a third to the oldest, and um, I happened to be the person that was a, what do they consider, a placator, try to save the family and make everything funny and everything else. Well, when I was uh, six years old, we were all removed from the home and put in foster care. And up until that point, I do not remember much of my younger part of my childhood. Um, I remember when I was in foster care, watching my parents walk down the, the parking lot handcuffed and watching them cry. And getting back to foster care in the home that I was in, um, they let us go to a park. And um, when I went to the park, me and my, my youngest sister, um, I remember the kids saying, if your mother loved you, you wouldn't be here. And that was the first time I could ever actually remember feeling insecure, scared, and I, don't want, I wanted to hurt somebody. Um, I spent majority of my life convincing people that I was never an angry person. And uh, that began a, a whole whirlwind of emotions and feelings, but I learned at a very early age to hide them. You know, um, we weren't allowed to voice feelings or anything. Now, when I did, um, when we all did get to come home, I remember the day of um, feeling happy, really elated, very, very happy. But what I didn't know that that was going to be the <laughs> worst part of my life. I came home to a drunk. I never realized at an earlier age, my older sister kept us from a lot of that. You know, she kept us busy when my dad was drunk, and I didn't know the abuse that my mother had suffered. And uh, I remember the fear that just set back in all over again. Um, I watched my father throw my mother downstairs, throw irons at her, just literally beat the hell out of her. He even burned her with cigarettes. And uh, by the time I was 10, my older sister is eight years old than me. She got married and moved away. I remember hating her. I literally hated her. How could she leave us? Because then it became my job to take care of everybody. But the part that I, I don't usually share, I'm also a, a victim of sexual abuse, not only emotional and physical, but a lot of sexual abuse. Um, and that went on until just before I got sober. Um, but I was the person in the family that had to keep everything together. And I had to, my brother is a year older than me. He always said that he spent his life fighting for me. No, he didn't. He thinks he did, and maybe that's how he feels he had to do. He did the best he could because my brother was the target of my father when my father came home drunk. And my mother yelled, Philip, go to your friend's house. And he'd just take off. Um, I actually engaged um, with my father in fistfights about eight times, you know, and he used to look at me and say, big boys don't cry, and it just made me cry even more and say, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl, you know, and it just didn't matter. Um, 
And through the years, things got worse with the alcohol and drugs. And the one thing I always swore was I was never, ever going to be an alcoholic like my father. So I thought I wasn't going to be. Uh, the area I lived in, if you went to one, if I lived around the corner, I went to one high school, they were all drunks. If I went to my school, well, we smoked pot. We played sports and smoked pot. The other school was uh, uh, all gangs and a lot of drugs. So I was fortunate enough where I didn't experience a lot of, uh, you know, gang fights and stuff like that because it's the type of school I went to. Um, although we did get pretty high. We played a lot of sports, got pretty high. Um, I remember on the way to a basketball game, um, I had six players in my, my vehicle, and we had gotten in no accident. So as soon as I got to the school, here I got all these kids in the, in the car, and right away it's like, way to go, Ketterly. There you go. You had to do it. It's like it wasn't even my fault. I was hit from behind. So it seemed like I always felt like the victim, so I played the victim. You know, and I didn't realize that until uh, when I moved out on my own. You know, I, I couldn't figure out why. Um, I didn't do anything to anger people because I wanted everyone to like me. I didn't understand why people used to have their comments because um, a lot of times I did more laughing because I didn't know how to cry. You know, my little sister died when um, she was three. And I remember going to the funeral, I just couldn't cry. But I remember when people were talking to me and I would laugh. And it wasn't that I thought it was funny I just could not cry. And um, <laughs> this just went on, but my, my drinking got so bad that I ended up in gang warfare. I was one of those that ran the streets. You know, first chance I got away from home, I'm going to do what I want. No one's going to tell me otherwise. That's it. Um, I, I know most of you know I just celebrated 40 years. I got clean and sober when I was 22. Um, that was one hell of a chore. That was one hell of a trip because um, I didn't think at that time that I was finished partying. And I'll be honest with you, when I decided to go to AA, I walked into a room and my, I walked up with a friend and my friend says to me, are you sure you want to go in there? That doesn't look like an AA meeting. And I said, well, we're just, all of a sudden the lady comes out and she's like, are you here for the AA meeting? It's like, it's not for me, it's for her. And it wasn't even for her, it was for me. <laughs> but uh, when I walked in, everybody's sitting around the table, nice, neat, dressed to kill. They all look showered, and they're singing happy birthday to 72 years worth of birthdays at the top of the table. And then they mentioned God. Oh, God, I knew I was in the wrong place then. I was raised Catholic, and because of a lot of situations and things that I went through, there was no God for me. I could pray for others, but I could not pray for me. Um, I was taught that if you question your religion, you're not a good Catholic. So I didn't dare tell people what was really in my head. You know, um, one of uh, the last three drunks that I had, and I, was, I wasn't only a drunk, um, I no longer could even get that, that drunkenness. Um, I did a lot of drugs. <laughs> And back in those days, it was pink hearts, the whites, the, the yellow jackets, all that, everything. And uh, I was one that used to sit at, at parties and uh, drink my alcohol and um, take my Valium. 
and didn't do anything to me. And I was stupid. I gave some to my friends, but I watched him flip out. I thought, oh my God, what the hell's going on here? How come that doesn't happen to me? But I watched them all go violent, throwing one another over railings in apartment complexes. I took a friend to, uh, to what he told me was his ex-wife's house because he needed to pick up something, but I didn't know he was going to pull out a gun. And when I hear gunshots, it was like, oh, my God. So I went back to my place, and um, I, I actually gave him my keys, and he hit him, and he dug a, a hole in his backyard. Didn't you remember where he hit him? So I didn't have a car for days, you know. And when the cops showed up, it was like, I didn't go anywhere. I guess someone took my car. I don't even have my keys. You know, he, he didn't actually do the shooting. It was in a different apartment, but it just freaked me out, and they saw me leaving. Um, and every time I went home, my mother would turn around and look at me and say, where the hell have you been? I said, I don't know. And I just turned around and I, I made a room in the garage and I wanted to be left alone and do my own thing, but she always seemed to interfere. Um, now at the end of my, my drinking, what actually got me to, um, AA was my brother had, I felt at the time had never defended me. And on the, uh, over the 4th of July weekend, he had come to my defense and he even threatened my father that he was going to blow his head off. And I thought, oh my God, somebody really cares. And then I went out and proceeded to go get loaded. And what happened was is, <laughs> I don't know how I made it home. I was driving with about six or seven people in my, in my truck. Back in, back in those days, you can uh, drive in the back of your, your pickup. So I loaded them up. But I woke up on the freeway hanging out the door in the fast lane at 420 in the morning. All I remember is waking up going, oh my God, how did I not get killed? When I got home, my mother had looked at me and she said, where the hell have you been? I said, I don't know. Who the hell were you with? I said, don't know. Excuse my language. She says, you, tears were just rolling down her eyes and she looked at me and she said you're a fucking alcoholic just like your father that just ate me up you know um, I, I decided to call AA then and when I called AA <laughs> you gotta understand 40 years ago AA was a little different um, I got people that, that tell me that I shouldn't share a lot of hardcore but you know what AA was very hardcore when I came in and they turned around and um, told me that the next meeting was on a following Tuesday. Okay, now you tell a drunk that on a Friday, you just gave him permission the whole time. So I took advantage of that, and I proceeded to go get loaded. And uh, I remember going to my, my first meeting. Like I said, I walked in, and, and everybody was just, and I really thought that I was going to see bums. They were just going to be unbathed people, you know, with the long trench coats and hiding the, the alcohol in the jackets and everything. I really did think that. And at 22, that was, and I happened to um, gravitate towards the same people in the program as I did on the outside. I gravitated towards people who liked to control me, and I wanted them to like me, so I ran with them. And... Um, Nothing was ever easy. I was told to sit down, shut up, take the cotton out of my ears, and shove it in my mouth. And here I was dying. 
I needed someone to talk to, but out of my own fear, I was afraid to say anything. Um, you know, I, I, I don't believe in doing a lot of drunk logs, but uh, I had so many situations where I, I even one time tried to kill myself. Um, hmm, I missed on that. I guess God didn't even want me, you know. Tried to hit the, the cement pillars of, a, of a, a bridge, and I missed it. Um, demolished quite a few cars. I was one of the fortunate ones. Didn't have family. Didn't own a home. Didn't have nothing, so I didn't lose anything. But I sure in the hell lost me. You know, um, because sometimes when you tell drunk logs, it's like glorifying it. But, and, and I get to that point because when it comes to step one, um, it talks about they had to raise the bottom for me to get there. And I, I fought everything in the beginning, but it was all inside of me because I did not and I was not willing to risk my feelings and them being taken away. Um, I had been clean, I think it was about seven months, and I didn't have a sponsor. So this lady walked up to me and she said, you don't have a sponsor yet? And I said, no. And she said, well, I told you what was going to happen. I said, oh, my God. She goes, now ask me to be your sponsor. Oh, my God. I was devastated, like, oh, will you be my sponsor? Then I had to follow her direction. Um, it, there was nothing easy, nothing fun about any of it. You know, and, and, and step one I always liked because my sponsor, my third sponsor, used to tell me all the time, I dissect the hell out of everything, and I should have been a biologist. And... Uh, it says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. The hell did you say? My life was always unmanageable. Mine didn't just become unmanageable. I mean, here I was the victim all my life, the, the sexual abuse and all that. And uh, so I believed that I was wronged. So my life was always unmanageable. That was the first problem I had in the program. You know, because steps one and two, those are knowledge steps. It's not until you hit step three that it becomes action steps. You know, at least that's what I learned. Um, you know, and this thing about, I, I mean, I fought it all the way. Don't tell me that. And I was one of those that came in here that had a lot of, uh, I can't say mental illness, but I was severely depressed and very anxious. And... I was told that I didn't need to go to therapy and I didn't need medication because all I needed was AA. So I had just barely had started going to a therapy, a therapist, and um, they turned around and told me, you don't need it. So I stopped going to therapy. You know, um, but I could not get the steps. I just could not. Well, when this sponsor that I had had told me, by the time I get to the fourth step, I'm going to realize that everything was my fault. Okay, now you tell somebody who just come out of being sexually abused that everything was their fault. So I like shut everything down. I just didn't care. I, I went to meetings and um, I didn't talk much. I would always say, my name is Donna, I'm an alcoholic addict, and I pass. Um, I was told that I couldn't say I was an alcoholic addict, but I have to remember where I came from. Because if I forget that I'm also an addict, I'm going to go right back to it. Um, then... Uh, Step two, that was a scary one, came to believe in a power greater than ourselves. Um, 
the only way I could do that, and, and it's not, I don't share this because this is the only way to do it, but this is what works for me, you know, um, and my first sponsor, I ended up, someone else talked to me into being her sponsor, so I let that one go, and then I took on this other new one, and I thought, well, maybe I'll get somewhere this time. Well, anyway, you just put higher power or God in the whole context, and you didn't exist. I didn't hear nothing. I did not want to hear anything. Um, I, I do remember um, <clears throat> I used to talk a lot to walls. And I was told in AA I couldn't do that because what's if the wall crumbles? Then I moved to the next wall. You know, but then I learned when I actually could actually read the second step that it doesn't matter how you do it as long as there's a power greater than yourself. You know, there's a lot of uh, atheists and the different uh, religions out there that do it all differently. Um, and I can't take that away from them, but that's what works for me. Um, I had a lot of problem with uh, faith, you know, um, like I said, being raised Catholic. Um, so I gained the knowledge, but I didn't have the belief. I had no humility, no nothing behind steps one and two. And um, you could give me a big book, and my sponsor used to yellow out the pages and this and that, and I still didn't get it. I was one that I was hands-on for everything, so I didn't comprehend um, actually reading and dissecting it all. I couldn't do it. So uh, then when my first year came around, they were a little bothered because I hadn't been more advanced in my steps. So... I sat at the end of the table, and when my birthday came, and they told me, now your first year is given to you, now you've got to work for the rest. What the hell? You think I haven't worked hard? You know how hard it is to get through a Friday night or a Saturday night or 24 hours? Don't tell me I didn't work for it. Now, everybody wasn't like that. It's like I said, I gravitated towards the people that kept me down. And um, I allowed that, and I needed that because I had to remain the victim. I did not understand that I needed to learn to take responsibility. So um, by the time it came to step three, whoo, that was a bad one. That was a bad one. How do you make a decision to turn your will over to the care of God when you don't even understand him? You know, and my sponsor, I ended up, by that time I had my third sponsor. And to me, she was the one that saved my ass. She literally saved my ass. Um... There was no shame, no humiliation, no nothing behind anything. And um, I kept saying, I just don't get it. And I was having a hard time at work. And I said, I just don't get it. I cannot, I just don't understand how you guys do it. And she said, well, guess what? Take my God to work with you. Oh, my God, I took her God to work. And it worked. <laughs> she looked at me when it came on. She says, can I have my God back? And I said, hell no, it worked for me. He says, honey, it was never mine. It was always yours. It was like, this is how you do it. You know, um, but it was a lot of hard work. I, I've heard a lot of people say in the program, my sponsor used to tell me all the time, it's the three, word, three little words start with a P, practice, practice, practice. She says, you never learn to tie your shoes overnight. You just got to keep on going. And I, I learned very early on, the more I tried, the less I failed. Because she used to tell me all the time, as long as you're still trying, you're not failing. You know, um, 
then it came time to doing the four step. That was the scariest because originally I was told that it was all going to be my fault. Well, who wants to write all that down and share it with somebody if it's going to be your fault? And so I did it. I, I finally believed in somebody, and I started following directions, and things started getting a little bit easier. And at this time, I wasn't too far off of getting ready to do my fifth step. And I used to like to go to a lot of candlelight meetings. Excuse me. And I went to a lot of candlelight meetings because people couldn't see me when I spoke. And when I turned around and spoke, I kept thinking, I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I could do it. I just remember the day that I did do it. I went over and I sat in her patio. She made sure I did it at night. I worked a midnight shift. And we did it with all candles. But I left out half of it. I left out all the parts that I was ashamed of, the abuse and everything else. Um, so on the way to work, I no longer was suicidal in thought. I saw a guy at midnight changing his tire on the side of the road. I didn't hit him, but I tell you, the thought crossed my mind. I went in, this time I had three years sobriety. And I actually went down to um, the emergency room of a hospital because I wanted to talk to somebody. And they locked me up. How dare they? So I was in there and it's like, you know what, I'll be honest with you, I found out how crazy I wasn't. I actually found out how to pray to God. You know, and it was the most scariest thing in my life. It was like, please, God, just get me out of here. I'll complete my fifth step. And people don't realize that the fifth step isn't that bad because by the time you get to your fifth step, you've already admitted to God and to yourself by putting it on paper for the fourth step. So it wasn't that bad. It was just a matter of sharing with somebody. So um, I got out. When I got out, I did go ahead and I did um, complete my step. I cried a lot, screamed a lot, threw things, but I got through it. And I found out that uh, I was a victim then at an early age, but I was no longer a victim. I was a survivor, and it was time for me to move forward. You know, I spent many years in therapy over that, but um, it was a hard thing. I thank God that... Um, my third sponsor was put into my life because I actually got to see the light. And it wasn't that she was a god. I believe that she was put in my life at the time that I really needed it because I was still, all the way up to three years, suicidal. And um, so I was able to get through that. And there was a lot of times I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to do anything. You know, they have that, that saying about fear. You either face everything and recover, or you fuck everything and run. I was still in, I want to run. But um, I remember going to a meeting, and they used to tell me all the time that I was too young enough and too small to have ever drank as much as they ever drank. And the only thing I could tell them is they spilt more than I ever drank. I said, well, if you weren't such friggin' slobs, you'd have got here sooner, because I tell you, I didn't waste my alcohol. I used to go to bars, and I used to, like, throw darts and play pool, and I'd always take a friend. And she'd play on one team, and I'd play on the other. So no matter what, well, I, we always had a drink. And I waited for them 
the guys to get up and go play pool or do whatever, and I'd just scoot around the bar and just drink everybody's that they left. I didn't care. I didn't waste my alcohol. So I had a real hard time accepting that because, <coughs> sorry, if I'd have continued on the route that I was, I wouldn't have made it till I was 23. And I was 22 when I came here. I wouldn't have made it. If it wasn't by the death of somebody else, it would have, I would have killed myself. You know, and who knows who else I would have killed on the road. Because uh, the time that I told you, those aren't the only times I ever drove like that. You know, um, uh, it's in the middle of gang warfare. I remember walking in front of somebody and saying, they pulled a gun on my friend and said, you want to shoot somebody? Make it me. You want to talk about sober up real quick? I didn't think you could sober up that fast. But I tell you, I, I just thank God I didn't get shot. I guess he thought there was a reason for me being here. <laughs> you know, then um, it came time to doing um, the uh, shortcomings and character defects. I still had the half and half, you know, the half class. You know, it's full halfway, half measures availed us nothing. I still had the character defects, ones that I was taught as a, as a young child and things I've learned along the way on my own. But I still had that twinge of, oh my God, if they didn't do this, I wouldn't have been there. I would not be feeling like this right now. You know, uh, that's, that was my experience with um, uh, the defects of character and listing them. And then humbly asked him to remove them. Oh my God, that, all that is is change. Your life has to change right there. How many people are willing to be humble enough to change your life? You know, it, it took me quite a while in the program to learn all those things. But um, I had to work on it. I had uh, sticky notes all over my place. Patience, tolerance, patience, pray. I had them everywhere. Because I was one that did not understand. I could turn something over. 30 seconds later, I was uh, the front seat driver again. God was never the front seat driver, and it's like, God, I just turned it over. How come it's not working? Um, I prayed for things to change for me, but I wasn't willing to change myself. And by this time, when I got to the character defects and the shortcomings, I finally realized that um, <laughs> my sponsor used to tell me, so what would you do in this situation? I didn't want to be responsible to say anything, so I'd say, hmm, what would you do? And she used to look at me and say, I'm not playing that game, Donna. That game is not mine to play. And because everybody else in my life, whatever they said they would do, I did. So therefore, it wasn't my decision. I made them responsible for all the decisions I made instead of taking responsibility on my own. So writing down those character defects and stuff under lust, greed, anger, all that stuff, oh my God. I never thought I ever wrote in, in 22 years of my life. I never thought I wrote as much as I wrote. And it did not matter whether I thought I had those character defects. I had to learn to accept that those were my character defects. And that was a matter of another action step. It's like I said, the rest of them from three on are all action. Um, having him remove them, and some of them I, I wasn't willing to, to get rid of. You know, but I, I didn't have the concept of jealousy. You know, I was, I was, never realized how much of a jealous and envious person I really was for what they had and I didn't have. 
but how come they got it and I just did the same thing they did? And I would sit and I would dwell and I just couldn't understand how to get out of that funk. But uh, it took a lot of work, a lot of work. But by the time I got to eight and nine, I had already done that after 30 days of being clean and sober. Now, I didn't complete a list of making direct people uh, amends to people that I had harmed. I had done that in the beginning because, I don't know about you guys, but when I got clean and sober, I was willing to make amends to everybody. I wanted to make everything all right. And uh, a few times I put myself in, in danger. And other times I turn around and I expected to hear different responses than what I heard. I expected to hear, oh, that's okay. You're all right. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you were big drunk, and you did do this, and you drank more than I did. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, that's not what I wanted to hear. And my sponsor told me, that's not how the steps are designed. They're designed in certain orders for cer certain reasons, you know. Uh, so I had to learn um, over and over again um, when to do it. I did, uh, there were uh, amends that I had to make that I could only do by letter, confronting somebody or telling them the situation, I, I probably would have put myself in harm's, harm's way. So, um, but it was like a, a 150 pounds off my shoulder, and you can see how small I am. I don't even weigh 100. <laughs> so, uh, but by this time, after my three years of sobriety, I still couldn't get down this concept of meditating. I don't know if some of you still do it or don't do it or can grasp it. But I said to my sponsor, I can't get it. Well, when I, the day that I, the day before I went to AA, I went and talked to a priest. And the priest said, could you come back in six hours? And here I am, suicidal in thought. How dare you? I thought I could always go to a priest and talk to somebody. I didn't know they had already been up for two days with a family that someone had died. So I held that against him. So right after I had uh, three years sobriety, I turned around and um, my sponsor um, sponsored me to go on a retreat at a, um, I'd like to say a convent, but it's a monastery. And when I walked in and I saw the priest with the, his collar on, it was like, oh my God. Um, but one of the things that I did learn there was how to meditate. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I can't sit inside my head for more than five minutes. I cannot do it because my mind goes everywhere and then I'm off. And But I had to learn because they sent us out on this, uh, this thing where we couldn't be with no one else. We had to be by ourselves. And it was uh, 45 minutes. No talking. No nothing. And uh, my sponsor had given me this little red book. It's an AA that we used all the time. And I, I actually learned to meditate. I could actually sit still for more than five minutes. And um, I don't know, it was, it was hell. But at that retreat, I actually got to sit and have a conversation with the priest. And I was able to work through that resentment. Uh, now I can see a priest and I see, oh my God, that's a human being. He's a real human being with faults. You know, but... Uh, those are things that I never thought I'd ever get past, you know. Um, so I was able to work out all that 
and I had to make amends because I actually had to tell him how I felt when I walked in there. He says, honey, I belong to AA. You ain't telling me something I don't know. He's like, what? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know uh, priests were also alcoholics. I was like, oh, my God. And the reason why I like to talk about that meditation part is because that's something that uh, when I sponsor today, I'm, I'm one that I don't like to preach. I can't tell you, go look this up on a certain page. I can't tell you that because I don't, I don't, con I don't have a concept of that. Because I just did it. I read it, someone worked with me, and I had to keep practicing it. You know, um, I've had people try to tell me how I need to sponsor, how I need to do, no, 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 no. What works for me, and when I sponsor people today, I let them know, this is how I work it. Um, I just recently started sponsoring somebody, she's got six years. Oh, God, i got to start, no, you don't. I want you to show me how you got six years. And then I can bring you back to where you started. But I'm not, I, I can't do that. That's just me. Um, I've had people have their comments, and I was sharing before the meeting that I've had people say stuff like that. But what works for me might not work for you. You know, um, I just know that I have worked every single one of these steps. And I can honestly tell you, I constantly work these steps. That's why they call them that you got to work for it. you got to work. I would be a liar if I told you that my character defects and shortcomings don't come in all the time. You know, I can get angry, and I taught anger management, but I'm human. I, I, I could do a lot of things, the jealousy, all that I have, but I have to take time out for me, and I have to take my own inventory. It might not be 10 minutes after it happens, but I still have to take my own inventory, and I have to own what I did what my feelings or emotions were and how it affected the other person. You know, um, I'm never going to get it right. I just know the older I get, the more I got to learn. That's, that's how I feel, you know. And when you get to step 12, we tried to carry the message. When I stopped trying to carry the message to somebody, then I have failed. You know, that's, that's just how I feel. I just know that in 40 years, it has been, it's been awesome. It's been hell. Been a lot of hard work, a lot of tears, a lot of joy. I mean, there was a time in my program where <laughs> we used to go sit at a meeting. One of the places I have a real hard time with is clubs. Because sometimes that could be like a bar, but nobody's drinking. But we used to sit outside around a big table, and the meeting's going on inside. And I'd be sitting around the table, and we'd just be laughing and joking and whatever, but that's what I needed at the time. I was one of those that was half measures bailed us nothing. I can honestly tell you today that uh, when I go to a meeting, I actually pay attention. Um, I go because somebody else might need to hear what I say. doesn't mean that I got all this special great stuff to share it's obviously I've done something I'm here but um, at the same time I hear from the younger people I'm talking about younger than you know like 38 39 years but I always hear something I always hear something that I need and it's like oh my god and it just keeps me humble 
it keeps me more spiritual. Um, um, I hadn't gone to church since the pandemic, and I went back once, and I haven't been back, but I need to get back to that. And it's not about religion, it's about spirituality. Um, but like I said, I try to stay on an even keel. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. I fall like everybody else. There's days where uh, the thought of, what the hell am I living for? But it's a very, very short-lived thought in my head. I don't have to sink that low anymore like I used to. I know who I am. Um, sometimes I wonder about the direction I'm going, but at the same time, I am who I am. And uh, with that, I'd like to thank you for letting me share. Thank you.